Good morning. Thank you for coming. I will tell you a little bit about my background to get you to the incident which took place and um, caused what happened. Um, I, I was born in Alexandria, Egypt to an Orthodox Coptic Christian family. Coptic Orthodox is similar to Greek Orthodox. At the age of seven, my father decided to take us to Canada to seek medical help for my younger brother, Steve, who was born mentally handicapped. So we went to Canada, and then a few years later, he brought us to Egypt to get the culture. He wanted us to come for a few years to experience our culture and not forget our culture. So I went to middle school in Egypt, and this is where I met my first love, Sam. He was my tutor. My father hired him because I was having a hard time with the Arabic language. And we fell in love, but we had to go back to Canada. I had to go back to Canada with the family, and we stayed in touch. And every time I went to Egypt, I would meet Sam in the summer. And we spent like, about four or five years, our love grew, and at the age of 20, I wanted, we wanted to get married. Um, he asked for my hand, and my father refused. Sam was a Muslim, and I'm a Christian, and in Egypt, Muslims and Christians don't get married. It would not be something you want to do. So, because I love my father so much and I respected him, I did not want to break his heart or break his uh, wishes, and I decided to move on and forget about Sam. Went back to Canada, moved to California at the age of 25, where I met Paul. Paul and I, we ended up getting married. We had a beautiful son, Andrew, and a beautiful daughter, Colleen. Paul was a very selfish, controlling man. He was a narcissist and made my life miserable, made all of our lives miserable. I was very, it was very hard to think of leaving Paul I was always scared to do that because he threatened that even if I think about hiring a divorce lawyer, he would hire a sniper to take me down. And he felt he would get away with it because he would lose his mind and no judge would hold him responsible. Finally, I was able to get a restraining order against Paul after 13 years of marriage and he got out of our lives. About a year later, I get a call from Sam, who I hadn't heard from for 25 years. He was visiting in Florida, and he knew I lived in California. He dissected California block by block, found my number, and called me. At that time, I had just become a born-again Christian, and I wasn't thinking of remarrying, let alone marrying a Muslim. Uh, I was too close to Jesus. We talked. He went back to Egypt. About six months later, I went to visit my mother in Egypt, and we met. And when I met Sam, I fell in love with him again as if we've never separated. He was the man that I was always looking for, kind, tender, sweet, loving. And at this point, I did not care this time that he was Muslim. After being married to a Christian for 13 years who made my life miserable, I didn't care about what he called himself. I was looking more into the man that I was marrying. So we did get married. We lived a very good life very happy life. Um, he took very good care of me. I was the breadwinner as a CFO of a corporation. He could not land a good job in the States. He did not know the language very well, and uh, he couldn't get a decent job. So we decided I 
the breadwinner and he takes care of me, he takes care of the house, he cooks, and I just loved a homemade meal after a long day at the office. So we did this and the kids after a long custody battle were back and forth between me and Paul, as you can imagine. And then um, about nine years into the marriage, another thing I was doing for Sam is I was um, supporting his ex-wife in Egypt with his two daughters through medical school. And I started getting tired of doing so. I, my kids are getting older, now they need to go to good schools. And I was tired of supporting him and I wanted my money to go to my children. And even though I was happily married and was very comfortable, I chose the children over him and I wanted to get a divorce. I wanted to get out, I couldn't do it anymore, I was tired. Sam felt betrayed that I chose the kids over him but we did come to an agreement and we got an amicable divorce in Orange County where we both signed on it. We had no kids, we had no wealth. So in six months, if no one disputes it, it's automatic. So we did that in mid-December 2018. But he asked to stay in the house for three weeks until he finds a place to live and I did not want to throw him out in the street. So I agreed. Right after this happened, I started getting sick and I started feeling aches and pain throughout my body. The pain was so much that I couldn't go to work it was December and it's year end for a, a CPA. That's not a good time to do, not be at work, but I couldn't go. The worst thing was my head. My head uh, felt like it was gonna explode. I couldn't even blink my eyes without feeling excruciating pain in my head. I just sat on the couch and tried not to move day after day after day. And finally, he agreed to take me to a, a medical clinic where they didn't run many tests. The doctor said, you're coming down, most likely you're coming down with the flu. Uh, take this medication. He gave me some painkillers and just rest. So I went home, rested, and things were just getting worse and I'm missing work. So Sam decided to give me his blood pressure medicine. And I didn't have blood pressure, but he gave it to me, and that reduced the pressure in the head and reduced the headache to a point where the beginning of January, I was able to go back to work. Not feeling great, but I was able to manage. January 8th, as I'm driving on the freeway, the five, going, my work was in City of Commerce, and as I'm driving, I get this vision. Now, mind you, I've never had visions before. Didn't even know what they were, but I had a vision as I'm driving. And that vision was my family members, my brother and two sisters, and there was death in the family. And I didn't see my younger brother, Steve, and I assumed he was dying and that this vision was a warning from the Lord that my brother was dying and that I needed to go see him. He was in Egypt at the time. And six months earlier, I had lost my mother and I put work over going and seeing my mother because I had a project and I missed saying goodbye to my mother. So I didn't want to do the same thing again with my brother and I felt I needed to go. So I went to the office took care of things, called Sam and said, I'm leaving to Egypt. My brother Steve is sick. I'm leaving tomorrow, which was Saturday or Sunday, I'm not sure. He said, okay, I'll be here. Colleen at the time was with us and he said, I'll take care of Colleen until you come back. I took care of work. I was trying to delegate things. It was crazy. And all day I'm in meetings and having my staff there. And towards five o'clock in the afternoon, my head, I'm holding my head in my 
that, holding it so it does not explode. And my elbows are on my desk and just trying to contain my head. I couldn't think, it's just, I, I, I just couldn't function anymore. And there was, I felt a voice was telling me, stop everything, don't think anymore, go home. So I just dropped everything left i told my staff you know what i might not leave tomorrow if i do i'll call you i'll take care of it i just need to go now i can't think anymore and i drove out i got to irvine which where we were living and as i'm drive as as i'm walking up the driveway i hear this voice now it wasn't like thinking i heard the voice in the office no this was a clear voice like I'm talking to you in my head. And it was saying, anything that's going to happen now, you can't talk about it. And it was like a sign of, for me to shut my mouth. Immediately, I recognized that voice to be the Holy Spirit. I never related to the Holy Spirit. I didn't, re I heard about the Holy Spirit. I related more to Jesus, to God the Father, but the Holy Spirit, to me, I didn't get him. To me, he was a bird flying around, couldn't understand him, didn't think much about him, just ignored him. But there he is talking to me and instantly I recognized it was him. So I continued walking to my door, Sam opens the door, and the first question is, are you leaving tomorrow or the day after? And I said, I can't think right now. I'll let you know tomorrow. Colleen comes up, gives me a hug, goes back to her room like a teenager does. Sam says he's going to prepare dinner for me. I said, fine. I walk to my room, get dressed into my pajamas, and I walk to the kitchen. And I'm standing there, we had the counter, the fridge is behind me, and he has a plate ready for me with my favorite dish. It was casserole, French bean casserole with rice. That's just my favorite dish. And I looked at it, but I had no appetite. I hadn't been eating much. And I just couldn't imagine eating the bean casserole at least. So I put back the beans in the... I just took it out of my dish and I was left with this plate of rice. And I'm looking at it just thinking, how am I going to even eat that? But that's all I could think I'm going to be eating. And the voice says, child, open the fridge and put plain yogurt on your rice, tzatziki. And I'm going, come again? Like what? you care about the yogurt I put on my rice? And the yogurt on my rice, it's the favorite way to eat rice in Egypt. It's just plain yogurt on rice. And he said, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. And at that moment, I was just in awe. I was 47 and I had missed out on him. And he was in every little detail of my life to the point that he cared that I would just open the fridge and put yogurt. I opened the fridge, put the yogurt, took my plate, sat on the couch. And him and I are having a conversation. I remember he had the best sense of humor ever. I was giggling. He was like, I was just sitting there eating and giggling. And Sam was sitting across from me, and he goes, did you stop at a bar after work and had a drink? And I just looked at him, didn't even want to answer him and break that conversation with the comforter. And I continued eating. Then I finished my plate. I finished my whole plate, the whole rice, everything. And it was time for me to go to sleep, to retire. He said, just go, go to bed now. So I said goodnight, kissed Colleen goodnight, and I went, brushed my teeth, and laid down in my bed. Not understanding what is happening to me, why is the Holy Spirit revealed himself,
And I'm lying down, and he says, Child, it's not your brother, it's you. And when he said that, my heart just dropped. I was not ready to hear that it was me. I was not ready. I was not ready to die. All I could think about is Colleen next door in her room, waking up in the morning and finding me dead. She had just moved in with us and I didn't have enough of her. And I couldn't get up to even hug her or say goodbye. It was too late. I wasn't able. Couldn't call Andrew. I was just heartbroken and tears came down my eyes. And he reminded me of a dream I had several years ago where I dreamt that Colleen, Andrew, and myself, we were walking in a meadows, and we were walking with Jesus, and we had our arms around his waist, each one of us, the three of us. And I always, and we were laughing down the meadows, and I always wondered about that dream. How the heck did the three of us hold him, and we're walking, and we're not tripping on each other's feet? But that night, it was clear that I was walking in spirit, and he had them in his arms. And that's when I felt it was okay for me to release them in his care, and it was okay for me to accept that I was gonna die. And I said, okay. The tears stopped, and I was okay to die. And then he said, child, you're going on a journey you'll be back and you'll be my ambassador. And that was when I was like, oh, I can do that. that. That sounds much better. <laughs> what do I need to do? And he said, I need you to relax. And I need you to stop thinking. I said, I can do that. And I tried to stop thinking. That was not easy. I kept thinking, am I thinking? Did I stop thinking? I kept tripping. And, uh, uh, uh. and I felt like he's going to say, just shut up and stop thinking. But he was so tender and kind, and he waited on me. And I said, okay, I was able to, finally. It took a while, and then I shut my brain down. And I said, okay, I'm relaxed. He said, okay. You need to shut your eyes. And no matter what happens, you do not open your eyes. No matter what happens, child, do not open your eyes. I said, okay, shut my eyes. And a bright light came into the room. It was a light so bright that I felt the presence of the Father. God the Father, that's what I felt. But I wouldn't dare open my eyes. It was just so bright. And as that light is in my room, the window next to me started rattling as if there was an earthquake in my room. And that's going on. And then my heart started with a palpitation. And that palpitation grew into a strong pounding of my heart. And it was getting harder and stronger, and I got scared, and I got anxious, and my fear and anxiety shut the process down, and the light went away, my heart stopped um, pumping, and the window stopped rattling, and everything was shut down, and I'm going, shoot, I just screwed up my death. And he, and he goes, no, 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 child, that one you can't screw up. You just need to relax a little bit longer, and I said, okay. Okay, I can do this. Because, okay, I need you to really relax this time. And I need you to stop thinking again. And I did it again. It took longer, because I was thinking about what just happened. But uh, I, I said, I have to do this. And I was able to stop thinking. And 
I was ready. And he said, okay, shut your eyes. Remember, cannot open your eyes. I said, okay. I shut my eyes. The light came again. The window started rattling again. And my heart just started slowly and kept on. And this time, it really, I felt my heart was going to explode. And I thought, okay, this is how you die from a heart attack. No problem. I got it. It's, you know, I'm not going to shut it down. I'm going to go through till the end this time. And I went and it just kept pounding. And then it stopped. And then he said, child, the next part is an annoyance. Just think. It's an annoyance, child. I said, okay. And right away, a whooshing pain came to my legs, into my bones. And it hurt so much, it felt like somebody was taking a sledgehammer and breaking my bones. And he kept saying, child, it will pass. Child, it's an annoyance. Child, it's an annoyance. And it just kept on going. But I was concentrating on what he was telling me. And he was so sweet coaching me through it that the more I was able to, the more I concentrated on him, I was able to endure that pain. I didn't scream. Mind you, I have fibromyalgia. I cannot handle any pain. And no one heard the beep, nothing. I did not, I was enduring it. And the pain was just stronger and stronger. And he kept saying, it's an annoyance, child. It's an annoyance. And it was okay. And then it stopped. I didn't feel it anymore. And it felt good. But I didn't feel anything else. I stopped feeling my legs. I stopped feeling my arms. I didn't have any feeling. And I said, am I paralyzed? And he said, yes, child, I'm sorry. And I go, no. He goes, I'm sorry, child. I said, well, can I, can I move my toe? He goes, go ahead, child. I try and nothing. And as I'm realizing this, Sam comes walking into the room. It's night. He's finished watching his TV. And I'm going, okay, he's going to notice that I'm paralyzed. He's going to call 911. And he's going to rush me to the hospital. And he goes in and he just sleeps there. We had an arrangement that even though we, were, we filed a divorce because we had two bedrooms, Colleen was in one bedroom. He's on his side. I'm on my side. And he just slept, didn't notice me which was okay. I had the comforter there, and I was okay. And I spent the whole night with the comforter. It was the sweetest night in my life. It didn't matter that I was paralyzed. It didn't matter that I was going to die. Nothing mattered. He just, he answered all my questions that I had without me even asking a question. He knew all my questions. And he answered them, and he explained everything in so much detail and in a beautiful, harmonious, uh, not too fast, not too slow. I just got everything he said. Beautiful teacher. He went through the Bible. I had visions. It was just a remarkable night. I didn't want it to end. But then I needed to go to the bathroom. And I forgot that I was paralyzed. And I, and I couldn't move. And I said, I want to go. I want to go pee. And he goes, go. I said, no. Uh, he goes, go, child. So I went in my bed, and it was a heavy flow of water that I didn't think it was going to end. I was like, I thought I was going to drown in it. It was too much. And then we continued the visions, we continued the dreams, and I saw, uh, I felt the the sun coming out, it was dusk. Uh, the sun was coming out, and I could feel it. And then Mr. Sam got up. And I thought, okay, now he's going to notice that I'm paralyzed, and he's going to call 911. He turns around, 
And I had my back to him, and he turns me towards him, and he goes, Anna, Anna, and I'm not responding. So he moves up to me. He opens my eye. He opens this eye. I can see him. He lets go. He opens the other eye. Then he lets go. He puts my arm up. My arm falls. He puts my other arm up, and my arm falls. I'm going, okay, he's getting it. He's getting it. Um, and then he pads me down and realizes, he goes, you're wet. We need to get you out of your clothes. And I go, okay, good. You know, he's so kind. He's going to clean me up before he calls 911. So he gets up, and he walks to my side, and he starts taking my gold watch off. And I'm going, why is he taking my watch off? And he puts it away. And then he gets a pill, and he puts it in my mouth. Now, I'm paralyzed, so my teeth are clenched. And he puts the pill, and he squishes it through my teeth. And it was a bitter pill, and it tasted like a Xanax. And I'm thinking, why is he giving me a Xanax in the morning? I'm already limp. What's going on? And then he takes a mint, and he puts it in my mouth. And it goes like that. I'm going, oh, my God, I must think. I have to have a mint in the morning before he calls 911. And he comes around. I'm going, okay, now he's going to take, clean me up. He takes my clothes off. And he gets on top of me, and he starts raping me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I'm puzzled at this point because we've never been intimate like that. We've always made sure we jump in the shower first. We've never been intimate early in the morning when we're half asleep. This was not normal. And I just felt there's a, he's a dog. And he did his business, got up, and went to take a shower. And I'm just lying there naked in the middle of the bed. He finishes his shower, comes back. I still hear the water, and it's heavy, and it appears to be a bathtub is getting filled up for me. And he comes around, and he carries me off the bed, to take me in there. And as he carries me, he drops me on the floor. And he goes, you're too heavy. And I'm going, thank God. And, and he just drops me. And, and I just fell to my side under the window and just like that. And he just dropped me. And he didn't know what to do with me. And then at this point, Colleen woke up. You could hear Colleen in the bedroom. So he leaves me, he rushes out the bed, the bedroom, closes the door, and tends to Colleen. Later on, I find out that he told Colleen, he made her breakfast, it was a Saturday, and he told her, Mom is crying over her brother Steve, who's ill in Egypt, and she took a few Xanaxes, and she does not want to be interrupted. So Colleen respects that, doesn't come to my room, doesn't check on me. It's okay. He comes back, and all of a sudden, I feel this ice-cold water pouring on my body. And it felt like nails piercing in my body. And it was very torturing. And he just kept on pouring ice water on me. And the pain was so much, and at that point... I saw a vision, and it was a vision of Jesus' right hand. And 
when they were putting the nail, piercing the nail in his hand, and they were knocking it. And as I saw that vision of the nail going in his hand, I was able to endure the feeling of nails in my body, and it was okay. I still had the comforter there, and it was okay. I just wanted it to end. And again, it was an annoyance, and I wanted it to end. And then it stopped. And he left the room. And I was relieved. Then he came back. And again, he got me more water and more ice water on my naked body. And my body was going into shock. It was not a good feeling to get ice water when you're paralyzed. And my body was really in shock. And again, I saw the vision of the hand of Jesus. And again, I was able to endure, and it was okay. And I just endured that torture, and it was okay. It was another annoyance. And then it stopped, and he left. Then he came back in. And this time, he stepped over my body with his legs, like, like that, and I'm sideways, and he held my nose tight, and he just kept holding my nose tight, and I couldn't breathe, but then my mouth went, <gasps> I opened up as a reflex, remember, I'm paralyzed, and my teeth are clenched, but somehow a reflex happened, and I grasped for air, and he got startled, so he let go and he left the room. And this is when I remembered my million-dollar life insurance. I had not had a chance to cancel it, and he would benefit half a million. My kids would get the other half. Then he came back. He did the same thing again. He went over my body, held my nose tight, and kept holding it longer this time. And again, my mouth opened, and I grasped for air. And again, he didn't like that. He got startled, and he left. And I'm lying there naked, curled up, not knowing what's going to happen again. But I'm in peace. I'm not afraid. There's no fear at all. I'm in total peace. The comforter hadn't left my side. It was okay. It didn't matter what was happening to my body. It didn't matter one, one iota, nothing. The presence of the comforter was beyond anything you can imagine. This was nothing. Then he came back again. And again, he stepped over my body, but this time, he not only shut my nose, he put his hand on my mouth. But he was very gentle, I remember. He didn't push. It was a very gentle hell, shutting my nose and just kept his hand over my mouth. And this time, I knew and I felt that was it. I couldn't breathe. He wasn't letting go, and it was, um, I was suffocating, and I, as I was suffocating, I saw up to Jesus' knees, I couldn't see anything, it was his white robe, I saw a hand, and he's reaching out to me, and I'm reaching out to him, and I didn't want to let go of Jesus. I didn't want Sam to remove his hand this time. I wanted to go with Jesus. I didn't want Jesus to leave without me. Didn't want to let go. It was okay. I wanted to go. And I didn't want to leave. And I kept on going. And it felt... There was no end to what just happened 
and a beginning of something else. I just kept on going, and it felt like as if I had a coat on, a heavy coat. I just took it off and just kept on going. It wasn't, you just keep on going. And I felt free and saw the sky open up. It was white clouds first, and the white clouds just opened up to a beautiful blue color of a sky. And around the sky, there was these big animals flying, colorful animals, like incredible colors, and flying. Animals I've never seen in my life. I've actually seen them only in the movie Avatar that came out later. If anybody saw Avatar, it's those dragons with the gorgeous colors. They were flying around. And then I found myself at a beautiful garden, greenery, and there was a wedding. It appeared to be like a banquet wedding, and there was a bride, and I wanted to see who it was. I thought, oh, I'm the bride. No, it wasn't me. It was somebody else, but I, didn't, I couldn't see her face. I tried to come in front, and I couldn't see her face. And then I found myself going into a corridor, and there was this majestic chair sitting like there, very high back. And there was a woman sitting in it, but she had a veil, a white veil over her. I couldn't tell who it was. So I asked, I said, who is she? And somebody said, she is the most purest of all. And I kept on walking. And I came to a door, and at the front of that door, there was a body of light. And I immediately recognized that body, and it was my mother. It was her same height, she had no features, but our souls instantly knew each other. We didn't hug, but it was just We knew each other. And I walked in with her, and then another body of light came out, and it was my sister, who had committed suicide several years before at the age of 35. And I don't know if most of you know that churches teach us that if you commit suicide, you go to hell. It's a murder. Well, she was in heaven. And to me, that was worth the whole trip, knowing where my sister is. And she was in heaven. And I walked in with her to a room. And the feeling of joy was just so overwhelming. I could not contain it. And I'm telling my sister, Nadia, I can't contain it. I don't know what to do. It's just too much. And she turned around and she said, Anna, with Jesus, it keeps on getting better. And I couldn't, I, that, I couldn't make sense of that. How could it get even better? I'm used to being overwhelmed with stress, not joy that I couldn't contain. And we walked out, and another body of light came, and it was my father. He had been killed in a car accident 30 years earlier. And seeing him, my mom, Nadia, we were just standing there communicating without talking. We just, we were just communicating. And then they said, come on, we have a banquet with Jesus. And I'm going, no, we're going to meet Jesus. Oh, my God. Okay, let's go. And they went, but stupid me didn't follow and I found myself somewhere else. I found myself in a room, and there was an older gentleman, and it was not a body of light. He had a body, and he was a very old man, 
and his hair was white as snow, and it was like he was pulling his hair out. He was um, the dead, the Pope of the Coptic Orthodox Church that had died like 50 or 60 years earlier, uh, Pope Carolos. And he was known to be a very loving, humble man, leader. And he was there, and he goes, child, where have you been? Where have you been? And I just looked at him, and I hadn't gone to the Coptic Orthodox Church for more than 10 years. And I looked at him, and I said, well, I've been going to Calvary. Um, sorry. And he goes, why, child? Why? And I said, well, I haven't found much love and kindness in the Coptic Church. So I've been going to Calvary. He goes, child, what is your name? And I said, Anna actually is my pen name. I said my real name, which meant kindness and tenderness in Arabic. And he goes, child, you're looking for that outside, and you are what we need. Hurry up. There is no time. Hurry up, child. There is no time. Hurry, hurry. And he just kicked me out. And I found myself out, didn't know where I was going, and then I started seeing a face reveal himself to me. And I'll show you how it went. And this is the closest picture I saw, I found. And I started seeing this face reveal himself. And it was going down really slowly. And going down like this. And slowly. Very slowly. And I shut his eyes. And then he was covering his nose. And it was taking very long to reveal his nose. He had a very long nose. To the point that I said, you're Jewish, aren't you? And he just smiled at me. Going down, and then I saw it was his face. And that was the last thing I saw in heaven. And I found myself over the freeway. I don't know how. I'm looking down, and I'm seeing the Y, the 5 and the, the 405. And it's so dry where I was looking at. Then found myself in my bedroom, and Mr. Sam is on the bed, and he finally was able to carry me off the bed, and he had me in his arms, my naked body, and he's holding me, and he's crying over me. And as soon as I jumped back into my body, I couldn't handle him touching me. So I jumped out of the bed, standing in front of him, naked, and I was not embarrassed to be naked, and I was not paralyzed anymore. I was strong as a horse, like the ambulance said. And you guys should have seen the look on his face. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Uh, Catherine? is going to pass around the microphone for questions. It was really crazy afterwards. A lot of incidents happened. Um, just briefly, I ended up going to a mental hospital because I was the uh, person coming, oh, I was stressed, overwhelmed, and must be having a nervous breakdown. So I was the one in the mental hospital for a while. Uh, but that's what, but, there's a lot. I ended up losing my daughter because when you go to a mental hospital, you don't keep your daughter, especially when you walk around the house naked. So that was a trip to try to get my daughter back. So there was a lot of events that took place until we were able to uh, end it. But um, there was, I did do a forensic hair analysis because I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't realize it was premeditated at the time. I wasn't sure if he was just finishing me off because I was paralyzed and he didn't want to care for it for me. 
And I went to see if I had a heart attack. It wasn't a heart attack. I went, I got a brain scan. It wasn't a stroke. So a lawyer told me, go get a forensic hair analysis, which I did three months later. And the report came back, and I'll just read quickly what the report said. So the lab results were given to a doctor who prepared this letter for the court. And he said, I have received lab reports which indicate very high amounts of several heavy metals on her hair analysis, consistent with toxicity, possibly induced by poisoning. These abnormalities include a mercury level, which is 60 times the reporting limit, selenium, 69 times the limit, and timony, 49 times the limit, lead, 280 times the limit, bismuth, 40 times the limit, and most disturbing, barium, at 2,750 times the limit. Uh, so, the symptoms she described, which were present at the time of her psychiatric hospitalization uh, and thought to be psychotic in nature, were consistent with toxicity due to barium and perhaps mercury. And barium is usually in rat poisoning, and uh, he was bringing me my coffee every morning and uh, probably putting this rat poisoning in my coffee every morning. Go ahead. What happened to Sam? Um, that's a good question. Well, at that time, at the time, uh, being it was in Irvine, I'll read you something else. Irvine was, at that year, there was a report released from the Orange County Register written in June 17, 2009. My incident was January 2009. Uh, it, it, the headline was, if it's America's safest city, it must be Irvine. And this incident happened in Irvine, and they did not like to um, investigate attempted murder or anything like that at the time. So the... Um, investigator called me, she didn't even meet me, and uh, she said, do you have anything to prove that he put the barium in your coffee? And I said, no. She goes, do you have a video? I said, no. She goes, well, I suggest you take a journal and journalize in case something like this happens to you again. And that was it. That was the end of it. I'm wondering if you had any success in the hospital with anybody uh, understanding what you were trying to tell them, and if anybody considered something other than a psychotic episode. At the time of the hospital, I did not talk about the event. Trust me, I was put in a mental hospital and I didn't even say what happened to me. Could you imagine if I had spoken and said I saw my mom, I saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'd be locked up till today. So I didn't say anything. And I was, uh, they thought I must be disturbed because mind you, when I came back, there was no evidence of any abuse. I was, when the ambulance came and you know, when they test you, he said, pull, like I was on the bed and he held his fingers and goes, pull on me. And I pulled him, I got him off where he was sitting. And he said, this woman is strong as a horse. So no one could believe I was paralyzed and now I'm strong as a horse. That didn't make any sense. There was no uh, form of abuse. The kids, mind you, those nine years, we lived a very happy life, right? Sam never abused me, never even raised his voice. It was a love story. So when the police came, the kids were there, Colleen and Andrew. And I'm saying, this man tried to kill me. And... His, like Sam is like, and the kids are, mm, no. Mommy must have a nervous breakdown. And, and that's what he was putting in their heads. They were young. And that's what it was done. They actually wanted to leave without doing anything. And I didn't want to stay in the house by myself with him. I got the kids out. And then I said, I want to go to the hospital. So they took me to Mission Hospital. And in Mission Hospital, again, they don't do poison testing. They just do alcohol and drugs to see if 
you, you know, you're on alcohol and drugs. And you can imagine what I look like. Here I am, I had urine up in my hair. I've gone to heaven, came back, my hair went gray. I looked horrible. And he came in the hospital in a suit, dressed up like he was the professional and I was the crazy woman. And that's when they rushed me to a mental hospital to evaluate me. So it's, it's sad what happens here, like they really need to get some laws in and some poisoning analysis uh, when things like this happen. There was never any testing for heavy metals or metals or toxins? Not in the hospital. That was the, that was the forensic leader. But in any, in the mental hospital, nothing. In the Mission Viejo, nothing at all. I was just having a nervous breakdown. Because I, I had three entities I was the CFO of. So they thought, oh, she's overworked. He may have done that. <laughs> um, Sam is away. He's uh, in Egypt now. I know that. I haven't changed my phone number, but I get num calls from him. And I know where he is. Um, I don't answer, but I want to keep track of where he is, and he's far away. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. What do your kids think now, today, after so many years? Well, they definitely like at that time of course they were confused and that their dad was like this was like it was given to their dad on a silver platter here is mom she's crazy like i've always said so he took them from me but over years they've learned to know the truth and as a matter of fact colleen is in the audience for the first time she's listening to the story and she's here Ten years ago, my son was here and he heard it, but Colleen is in the back in her hood being <laughs> hidden, but um, she, she understands and they, it's, they're my amazing children out of all this. It was a blessing. And this journey, you guys, uh, as horrific as it was, it was worth every second of it. The encounter was incredible. Uh, the journey with death was just beyond incredible. It's, there, it's just an amazing journey. And I believe that anybody who lost a child or a loved one to a horrific method of death needs to know that the Lord was with them. Like there's no way the Lord, the comforter was with Anna, but leaves everybody else. Like who the heck am I for him to come and comfort me? He must come to every victim and comforts them. It doesn't necessarily save them from death, but he comforts them no matter what is happening to them. And he takes them to the other side. I know that for a fact. And this needs to get out there and give comfort to, to parents who feel guilty or are devastated all their lives thinking their child was scared or terrified because they were not there for them. The father was and he comforted them so that's the blessing out of it all yes there's some